Hello, you're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two Panther fans sharing our love for the game and the Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't really care. Whatever makes you sleep better at night. Bryson, Wednesday, we're breaking up the we're breaking up the work week here. Let's talk some Panthers football. How are you doing tonight? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. We got let, let's start off. We're a new show here. Uh, let's share a little bit about ourselves. Quick recap, how'd you become a Carolina Panthers fan? What made you fall in love with black and blue? Yes, sir. I uh, I was born and raised in North Carolina, and uh, I was born in 96, which is around the same time of the year, or same time of year the team came up, and uh, just fell in love with it. Uh, growing up, I mean, the Panthers were there for me, so I just, I've always been a Panthers fan my whole life, and I forever will be, so that's pretty much how, how I came about. Yeah, I, I wish I could say the same thing. I'm a transplant. You probably can tell by now I sound Canadian. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, I was born a Packers fan and then kind of fell in love with the Panthers. The year they went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots, I w- became a really big Ricky Manning Jr. fan that year. I got his jersey, got some autographs. I love that guy. He was my first love for the Panthers. And then from there, I just kept watching, got some stuff and went to a game at Lambeau Field and ever, been a fan ever since. And then my crazy ass moved all the way down here because I love the team so much. I got a TV job here, and I've 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 been a fan for a lot, since 2003, basically. So I just love this team. Uh, just a quick promotion before we jump in: stop what you're doing, give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook page that's Panthers on Tap. We have more than 2,000 followers there. You can find all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Panthers on Tap. All right, let's jump right into it. We got a very special guest for our first show, the ringleader of Roaring Riot, Zach Luttrell. Zach, pleasure to have on the show this evening. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's nice meeting you. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't have uh, a beer tonight. I am just have water this evening, and it's because I had a few too many last night. So at my age, <laughs> I have to... Uh, you know, alternate nights of beer and nights of water just to stay balanced. Yeah, so, you were you were in Buffalo, is that right? You were up in Buffalo? I was. Just just for Monday, I shot up there. I was there uh, just about 24 hours. So I got home, uh, you know, about 4 o'clock yesterday. You know, just enough time to unwind a little bit and, uh, yeah, paying for it a little bit today. But happy to be here. Uh, you know, cool. Um, congratulations on the show and happy to be a guest. Thank Thanks, you. Man. I just got a quick ass. I saw the, I saw the, wing, I saw the wing pictures on Twitter. What was yes. your favorite out of out of those couple you went to? It's funny. So I'm not a big wing guy, right? But of course, you know, being in Buffalo and um, you know us playing the Bills next year, I got to do some uh, due diligence, scout out some of yeah, exactly. A little recon, a little recon. And, uh, <laughs> but the uh, the the bar bill, I, ch- I checked out two places uh, based on some recommendations that we got from uh, from Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, Duff seemed like it was the most popular. They've got several locations. Um, and those were definitely good. I enjoyed them. Uh, Bar Bill, though, was the second location I tried. And uh, yeah, it was they were incredible. They had uh, I got the Cajun medium, which was a dry rub, which they were incredible. And then a, har- a honey barbecue, I think, was the second one. Just I wanted to mix up the flavors from what I got yeah. at Duff's. Uh, but they were great. I'll tell you what, if, if if all wings were like that, I would be a big wing guy. You know, I know we got <laughs> good places down here in Charlotte, too. So I might go check those out. But, you know, excited to uh, plan our trip up there and certainly going to incorporate wings as part of the trip when we're when we're there. Oh, oh yeah, we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. Uh, let's just start off. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, COVID. COVID hits. We're in July. North Carolina is pretty much shut down. Cases are rising. Preseason's canceled. Training camp shortened. Things aren't looking good for fans in the stands. The leader of Roy and Ryan, what were you guys thinking going into that? Did you already have a plan in place going into summer or were you waiting for the NFL? What, what, what was that plan looking like? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned July, but really for us, and, and you guys, you said you've been members for a while, you know, we align our new seasons every year starting essentially, you know, May 1st, which corresponds to the schedule release, which typically is the last week or the second, the last week in April. The way that the NFL was kind of rolling everything out, you know, they were just slow playing it, not putting out a lot of details, just really kind of waiting, seeing what happens, you know, while the other leagues were having pauses and the, uh, you know, NBA doing their thing in the bubble, you know, we were just having to kind of move forward as if things were going to be normal. So it was even more challenging this year than, than normal because, we had to do the normal planning for the trips and the normal planning for the tailgate as if it was going to happen, but then also think of 
you know, plan B, plan C, plan D, um, you know, all these hypothetical, you know, what if scenarios without even having any idea, you know, what if half the fans can go? What if there are no fans at all? What if, you know, what if all these scenarios that were, were taking place? So, you know, it was certainly challenging just having to wait and and have the NFL make the decision, you know, and just kind of being, uh, you know, helpless and, and having to wait for them to make the decision in order for us to make our corresponding moves, which, you know, ultimately ended up with us, uh, you know, canceling all the away game trips this year. Um, you know, we were fortunate to, well, we canceled all the, the, the home tailgates too, uh, but we were fortunate enough to be able to work out with the Panthers to have a, a roaring riot section for a few of the home games, which was kind of a nice unexpected bonus, um, you know, in such a challenging year. Yeah, that, that kind of rolls into our uh, next question that we wanted to go into um, the roaring riot section itself. Um, that seems like something that was probably a, a dream of yours from the beginning to have a, a roaring riot section in the stadium dedicated to uh, us roaring riot fans. So can you walk through the process of how you got that done and uh, who you talked with and, and if it'll be there next year? I'm sure that was a year of years in the making. Let's <laughs> talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, so we, we really started, um, you know, outside of just being, you know, tailgating here in Charlotte was, was going to all the away games, you know, first Atlanta started really in like 2008, uh, 2013 was our first trip outside of Atlanta where we went to Miami. 14 was uh, Tampa. We went there, took about a hundred people to both those trips. And then 2015 is when we launched our memberships, launched the chapters in the other cities. Um, and then we took 550 people to Jacksonville. And then obviously the Panthers went 15 and one and really helped us, you know, uh, yes. launch the group at that point. But, um, you know, one thing we always say, our big philosophy when we travel to these trips is just to keep everybody together at the games. You know, I mean, just like anybody, I want the best tickets possible. I want to sit, you know, as close as I can to the field or in the club or whatever it is. But when I'm on the road, you know, having the unique experience of sitting with several hundred Panther fans, whether I'm in the lower level or in the upper level, that experience to me is just it's so different and so unique. And, and to me, that's what going to a road game is about, because that's when we can can have an in, impact on the game. And that's when we are we're most um, you know recognized and noticed by the, the home team, because, you know, they're all quiet on offense. And then all of a sudden you hear this, you know, keep pounding or defense or whatever chants are coming, even from the upper deck. And, you know, when you have 300 people. You know, everybody's going to hear you. And so we really wanted to bring that same you know, philosophy back here to, to Bank of America Stadium. And, um, you know, I think you guys know it's no secret that, um, you know, we can be a little bit wine and cheesy, whether it's the, the silver seats or whether it's, um, you know, a big opposing fan base coming in. I mean, our stadium gets dominated. I mean, everybody knows yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's been a dream for a long time to be able to have a section like that. But just with the PSLs and Bank of America Stadium, it's it's such a challenge because in order to create a section like that, you know, you're going to have to move people or, um, you know, ask them to participate in it. So, um, you know, we started these conversations years ago um, with various people. And then right before, I guess, COVID uh, broke out, probably the end of last season, uh, January, February, I was um, I had a really good meeting uh, with Meredith Starkey, the former uh, CMO of the marketing officer who's just uh, recently left uh, Paul McGowan, who's kind of like um, Tom Glick's right-hand man, basically. So, and, and Joe Labou, who's the manager of the tickets um, you know, he's the director of ticketing there. So we have sat down and had a real conversation about, you know, what the challenges would be like, what the obstacles, like how we could overcome them. And it seemed like there was some genuine interest there, but then, you know, once COVID happened, obviously those conversations stopped. Um, but it's actually a pretty funny story. It wasn't until the Bears played in Charlotte this year and just, you know, being the reduced capacity, the three or 4,000 fans or whatever we had there. And the fact that Chicago uh, didn't have any fans at all. I think they may have been what, like three and oh, four and oh at the time. So they had a, you know, they had a pretty good team early on. Um, and then of course, naturally being a lot of Bears fans, you know, in the area too, the stadium, and I wasn't there for that game, but the stadium was just 85, 90% Bears fan, orange everywhere. Um, and then there was a, a point where, and I'm, I can't remember, somebody went down with an injury and the Bears started chanting, let's go Bears. And um, and it actually really pissed off Dave Tepper, which, you know, people can say, people have their opinion about Dave. You know, he's done some good things. He's done some questionable things. You know I mean? I think we can all say that, but the fact that the owner is upset that there are so many opposing fans in the stadium, I mean, that's like speaking my language, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
So that, that kind of, uh, once that happened, it was, it was Dave's idea to get in touch with us. And, and that kind of you know, reignited that, that conversation that I had with Joe Labou. Um, and we just kind of worked it out from there and, and they weren't using the silver seats, the club seats at that time. Um, so they were able to, you know, carve us out a few hundred seats there that we could use just for us. So it worked out really great, you know, still awkward having the, the social distancing and being separated. Um, but you know, even having 300 people uh, spread out over four different sections, you know, we were still definitely the loudest in there. I mean, we were, you could feel the energy and just, you could really imagine what it would be like if we were all closed together in the same section, you know, on top of one another, like we normally would be in a, in a normal year. Uh, but it was, it was still fun, you know, weird, weird environment being in those games. I don't know if you guys checked out any of that. Yeah, we there, went but... to the Atlanta game actually. Okay. Uh, towards the yeah. End of the season, towards yeah. the end where Teddy got hurt, PJ yep. came in. To be honest, I it was interesting going to a game with not a lot of fans. You had more room, um, which was good. You oh, could definitely hear the, the chanting more too. I mean, I, I thought we were making noise where we were in the <laughs> corner of the hour behind the field goal post. But yeah, I, it was definitely interesting, and I thought they did a good job with keeping everyone safe. And I'm just curious: have you talked with the Panthers? Is this going to be a continuous thing every season now, or what's where are we at with that? We did. We had a conversation about two weeks ago um, and we're working through some some things. Um, you know, for me, I think, well, having a section in the upper deck is um, is more realistic, I guess, immediately. I mean, there are less less obstacles there. There are more um, available seats in different sections. So you could really carve out, you know, several hundred right away. Um, you know, we have a lot of a lot of members who sit up there, whether they have PSLs or they just buy single game tickets up there. So I think, you know, filling those seats. Uh, just from a logistical and from a, a body standpoint, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, but for me, like you want your your fan group, your supporter group, you want them in the lower level. You want them impacting the game. Like, you know, the closest things to something, you know, like a, a fan section like this would be the dog pound in, in Cleveland or the black hole when they were in, in um in, uh, for the Raiders back then. So, you know, yeah. you want them right on top of, of the game, impacting the game. So, you know, next year when the Eagles come in and when Washington comes in and when the Patriots come in and the Jets come in, you know, like these are all fan bases that bring a ton of fans down here to Carolina. Like you want your most rabid, the you know, fans, the ones that are going to stand for all three core or all three downs, you know, um, of each possession, defensive possession. You want them up chanting the entire time right on top of the field, not, you know, tucked away in the upper deck. So um, we're working through it. I mean, I think, Following the season, I wasn't overly optimistic, um, but uh, you know, coming out of that conversation a couple of weeks ago, I, I feel like there's a really good opportunity to have, uh, you know, at least the uppers, but there's still a chance to have an upper and a lower level section, which would be uh, which would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I, I I will say like the way Bank of America Stadium is like the 500 sections, how it's like so steep. Like you can still make noise up there, and you can still oh, yeah. be heard, absolutely. And but but I think it would be awesome to have a, a top and, and a lower section. I think that'd be amazing. And I don't I don't think that like once COVID's over, I don't think we would have any problem getting it full because uh, I know that there's so many dedicated Run Right fans. And I'm just curious, and may, maybe you know the answer, just maybe you don't. Why is it that their fans are selling tickets? Are they too hoity-toity? They don't want to be out in the cold, or is it? this team is not very good and they're just selling tickets because they don't really care right now kind of thing. It's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, the, the root problem though, is the PSLs. I mean, there are so many ticket brokers uh, that own PSLs. Uh, you know, there are, there are people that just aren't Panther fans that own, you know, that have invested in PSLs for whatever reason with the sole intention of, of selling the tickets, because, you know, this is a market where, you know, those Northern teams like, you know, coming to Carolina, um, you know, in October, November, it's an attractive game. You know, Charlotte's Charlotte's a, a cool enough city to go spend a weekend in where, you know, people want to do it. The fans are nice. You know, the, there's, you know, barbecue, there's breweries, there's things to do, um, you know, and fans don't feel like they uh, are threatened when they come here. You know, we're real welcoming. So it's, it actually is a destination where, you know, these northern teams that, that travel, if they're not already living here, which is another thing, you know, uh, Curtis being from Wisconsin, <laughs> um, <laughs> if they're not already uh, if they're not already living here, then it's, you know, they like to come down. So the, there, there's always going to be tickets available. But, you know, to answer your question even further, like, yeah, when we're losing, people are selling their tickets. But then also when we're winning, they're selling their tickets because they're getting, you know, four or five X. Uh, face value so it's it's frustrating um it's definitely not 
just this market though. I mean, I, I lived in Philly for three years and, um, and I went up to a game, I can't even remember, a few years ago. They, they all the games kind of, the years all like blend in for me. Like I have a hard time remembering which game was in what year, but I, uh, you know, I went up there and the, the Eagles were trash. And um, it was the first time I saw like tons of Panthers jerseys. Like I've never worn a Panthers jersey in Philly. Cause I just don't, I don't even want to deal with that. I don't but, blame you. I don't blame <laughs> you at all. Yeah, it's a tough city there. <laughs> but I mean, it was the first time that, you know, like I saw them everywhere. The tickets were everywhere. Um, we had uppers and ended up buying like some $30 club level tickets. Like had great oh seats. So people want to act like it's just Charlotte. It's not, man. You know, I mean, it's everywhere. And and I've been buying tickets in other stadiums for long enough now to know that, like, you know, it's winning helps everything. Um, But certainly with our fan base still being considered um, relatively new, um, you know, it does it does impact Charlotte and the Panthers even harder when when we're not playing well. I know there's been a lot away away tailgates. What's been your experience there? Man, it's tough to. uh, it's tough to beat London. I think, you know, just from the unique, I figure that would be your answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We guessed that one. (laughs) Being being in a, in a foreign city, being in, you know, in the middle of London in this neighborhood and having a thousand people and uh, you know, marching down the street together. It was, it was incredible, but you know, I think, uh, you know, Jacksonville always pops out because, you know, again, going from a hundred people, you know, two years in a row to 550 people that year, like it was the first time. And actually a funny story about that. You know, we took our keg trailer down there and that was really the first time that I, you know, put on a tailgate for that many people. Um, and I just completely miscalculated, like, how many, uh, how many kegs we should get. Um, and the, so we ended up kicking the kegs about an hour and 10 minutes oh, into a three-hour tailgate. Uh, the good news was the majority of our people were in the, uh, the pools that they had, the cabanas. So food was included, alcohol was included, and you could get in the stadium at 11 a.m. Oh, um, you know, okay. so like, as we run out of beer and I'm trying to think like what the hell we're going to do for the next couple hours. You know, I remember that we had this open bar. And so just got on the mic and said, hey, you know, good news, bad news. The bad news is, you know, we've killed the kegs. The good news is we've killed the kegs and there's an open bar. Like, let's go to the pool. Like, we're all alcoholics. Let's go to the stadium. <laughs> everybody's marching into the pool and I'm just like, you know, wiping sweat off my forehead, like you know, not having a panic attack because we didn't have any beer left. But I don't think the Jags were used to having, you know, 500 people roll into the pools two hours before the, uh, the game started, even though that was the option. So uh, it was, uh, it worked out really cool, but that was, that was a really fun trip. Yeah. I, uh, I saw pictures from the London trip and everything. I really wanted to go. I thought, I thought that would be really awesome, but maybe next time, I guess we can kind of roll into the, uh, the football side of things and kind of what's going on with the Panthers and off season talk a little bit. Um, sure. I kind of, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the quarterback situation currently in Carolina. What do you think about the rumors swirling around? What do you think of the current situation and kind of where do you see the Panthers going? Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when we first made the move for Teddy um, you know, that was a pretty confusing move for me. Um, just the way that the Panthers roster was and, you know, having a new coach and, the Panthers are really playing up the whole, um, you know, rule has had success turning around programs, you know, over a two, three year period and Tepper coming out in the offseason talking about how Rome wasn't built in a day. And so really like they're, they're basically telling us like, okay, you know, using the cliche, like trust the process, there's going to be a process behind this rebuild. And then out of nowhere, we signed Teddy Bridgewater, you know, who's going to be, probably average, maybe, you know, uh, maybe he's a little bit above average and he's a service serviceable quarterback, but just the way that their, their um, roster was lining up, it didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but, you know, I did a little digging and, and, you know, talked to some, some people over there and, and, you know, really found out that was, and it, it makes sense now was, was, you know, Marty trying to make a move to save his job. Cause, you know, even though that, you know, you have a coach who's come in on a seven year contract and he's on year one, who, who doesn't mind taking his time, you know, rebuilding isn't under pressure to win right away. You've got a general manager who's on the last year of his deal, who you know wants to get another contract and somehow convince the owner who, you know, is talking about being methodical and being a part of the process and not, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day to that they could win last year. So that was just, you know, really confusing, but, yeah. um, but yes, I mean, certainly wanted to cheer for Teddy, you know, definitely wanted to, you know, him to, to succeed here. I mean, I think, you know, most fans should be like that, you know, whether you agree with the move, like once they put on the uniform, like at least for me, like I want our team to do well, I want the players to do well. Um, But I think it's just, it's become pretty apparent now that, that they're 
they're ready to move on. I mean, they fired the GM who you know made the move. Uh, just some of the comments um, that they've made, the coaching staff has made, and, and even Tepper in, in public, you know, just makes it sound like he's not the guy. So whether or not it's you know them bringing someone in this year, this offseason, or next offseason, I mean, I think that was kind of always the move. And especially if you look at his contract, I mean, it was set up to be a two-year deal. And if he worked out, you know, great. You found a guy that, you know, possibly you could build around and probably extend, you know, beyond the, the two or three year deal. Um, if not, then you get a two year out and you're kind of in the same situation, you know, looking for a new quarterback and, and that's where they're at. But, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen on Twitter, I've kind of been, uh, I've appointed myself the president of the Deshaun Watson fan club. already. So <laughs> I, I did see that. I did see that. Well, let's talk about him. What, you see all the rumors out there, first three rounders, they want two defensive stars, basically. What what are you giving away to get Teddy or to get Deshaun Watson here in Carolina? And what's too much for you? No, like it's tough to know what the, the truth is, right? Because you know, obviously Houston's saying that there's no possible way they're gonna they're gonna trade them. And then they, you know, then you hear, but if we were, it was gonna, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be all these things, right? Yep. Um yeah. I don't know. It's I can argue both ways, and I, and I have on Twitter whether it's you know building around somebody through the draft or uh, you know making a big acquisition. We were giving up tons of draft capital. Um, you know, for me, just and, and usually I try to be kind of intelligent, I guess, for lack of a better term, with with messages I'm putting out on social media. But I just decided with Deshaun, I just want to be a crazy fan because I haven't been you know just a you know, irresponsible dumb fan. You know what I mean? For lack of a better term, just crazy, not really thinking about what I'm saying. I just want I just want Deshaun, and it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Um, so I've kind of gone down that road with it. But you know, I think if it's several firsts, you know, if it's three or four, um, I. I I had the best time watching Panthers football when, you know, we had a stud quarterback and Cam was making magic. And like the memories I have from going to those games, like nothing beats that man. And then, you know, seeing the skill, skill players that we currently have and just being frustrated because we don't have a quarterback for the last couple of seasons, but that can deliver them the ball. Like, it's just, it just seems like a big waste. And I want to have fun again. Like the last two seasons I've walked out of pretty much every single away game, you know, with an L um, with my, you know, my tail between my legs and it's just, about, uh, you know, talking junk and being proud and, you know, uh, taking uh, victories in their, their home stadiums again. So, uh, you know, for me, it's my original uh, thought was that, you know, people like Burns and Shen would probably be off limits. Um, and then I guess where I'm at now is maybe they're not off limits. I mean, I, I don't want the Panthers to be irresponsible. I don't want them to, to, you know, just do some crazy move, but you know, if it's two first and Brian Burns, I'm at least listening to that. Um, I don't feel great about that, but I'm at least listening to those conversations. Um, so I don't, I, I don't <laughs> know that's really answer your question, but uh, you know, I, I would have to see exactly what the, what the deal is. I just don't want them to be irresponsible, but I, if they have to be aggressive, then like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm ready to get it. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of kind of the same as you. I I'm ready to to have a quarterback that can go out there and on in the fourth quarter and win a game. I mean, this year we were 0 for eight in in one score games, and I mean, if if we win four or five of those, we're possibly in the playoffs this year. So I I think I think getting a quarterback that can go out there and make a difference in fourth quarter game winning drives um, could I mean turn this team around next season. So I think getting someone like Deshaun Watson or even some some of the rumors I've, I've been seeing recently, uh, I think Jeremy Fowler said Dak Prescott was the best fit in Carolina. I mean, some quarterback like that, I, I believe is just what the Panthers need to do, especially to get uh, fan participation back up too and sell tickets. And totally. I, I mean, you have to – yeah, I think I think Watson would be the right guy for that, to get the fans oh, back in here and excited about Panthers football again. And, and – and I think they know that. I mean, that's from the conversations I had. I think they they I do know that if they roll back into next season with the same exact QB room, that they're they're going to be in trouble. You know, just from a fan apathy standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, they they know that they have to do something different. Going off of that, let's just play devil's advocate here. You look at the Chiefs Bucks Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best quarterback right now in the league. And he didn't have an offense line in that game and they didn't win. So you could have you I've seen this on Twitter of the fans argument of, well, let's wait, let's be patient. Don't give up too much. Don't sell the house for a Deshaun Watson. Let's let's pick up a lineman in the draft. 
and then and and pick up a Trey Lance or a, a Wilson or a Fields and then have Teddy play out this next year. So where do you guys stand in that too? Because there is that side of, hey, we don't – the Panthers don't have an offense line. They got Moten, Paradis, but that line is just – it's it's not up to par for – even if you do bring in a guy like Watson or you bring in Dak Prescott. Right. And even Taylor Moten's a free agent this year, and they have to figure out what they're going to do with him. I, I really wanted them to – figure that out during the season or even before this, this past season started uh, because I, Taylor Moten's just an absolute stud right tackle, but. Right. And that was kind of my point too, is where, you know, I can argue both of sides, like, you know, and, and, and the point is like, there isn't a set recipe that's like, you know, automatic path to the Super Bowl or automatic yeah. path to the playoffs, you know, teams have done it either way. So, you know, I, you know, the argument, I saw some people trying to compare what the Bucks did to the Panthers going after Deshaun, which those aren't apples and apples, you know, mm-hmm. comparisons because, the the Bucks were ready to win this year. Obviously, they were a good quarterback they away. Had a defense. Panthers, yep, yep. Right. The Panthers aren't that. So if they do give up uh, assets to go get Deshaun, it's not to win next year. It's to win in three years. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's to, to probably take a, a step back because you know if you're giving up some starters, or you're giving up some first round picks. You know, potentially you're going to take a quick step back to ultimately you know, move back forward with, with your franchise quarterback, who's 25 years old, uh, you know, maybe 28 at that point, you know, and still plenty of good years in front of them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I could go both ways with those, you know, then you could also argue the, uh, the, just the, the 50% hit rate on a, on a first round quarterback, whether they're going to succeed or not. So, I mean, there's, there's risks either way. Um, and I, and ultimately I'm going to give Fitter the benefit of the doubt, you know, with him being the new GM. My only hope is that whatever direction they go, again, that they're not irresponsible and that they have a plan beyond that first move, right? So if they give up all these draft, you know, uh, picks and, and capital to, to get Deshaun Watson, like that can't be the only, like that can't be it. You're not done yep. when you get Deshaun. Like you have offensive line holes, you know, now mm-hmm. if you've given up defensive players, like the defense. Yeah, you got to have plan B, C, and D going into exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. So, yep. As long as they, as long as they know, like whatever step they make in this, you know, QB acquisition, there there are many other subsequent moves that they need to make in order to to be a good team because they're not just a QB away. Um, you know, even though having a, a good QB would would certainly propel them, you know, forward, they're not just a QB away from from being a a championship team for sure. Who is your Who is your favorite prospect coming out of the draft? Do you have one at this point? Is it too early to tell? Just overall player or, or no, just quarterback, it, it, just the quarterback itself. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, Lawrence is the the stud, but you know, if, if it was us picking one of the other guys, I don't necessarily think I have a favorite out of all of them. I mean, I think they all have some pros and cons. Um, you know, I, I, I like fields athleticism, you know, I've kind of looking at him and Trey because it seems like, uh, you know, those two might be the ones that might be available if the Panthers try to move up. Um, you know, and that's another thing too. Like if they're going to get one of those guys, even Trey Lance at this point, like there's questions whether or not he's there at eight. So either way, like, you know, you're giving up some assets to go get a quarterback this year. So um, no, I don't necessarily have a favorite, um, but I, I do, I am kind of leaning to that being the move that they make and that Teddy's your, you know, week one to maybe week four or five starter. Um, and that's kind of, that's probably what's most likely going to happen this year. If I had to, if I had to guess. I, I think I in the draft, I, just judging from what they were willing to give up for Stafford and um, and just knowing that they've definitely been in the market for a quarterback, I could absolutely see them trading up to get the guy they like the most, um, whether that be with the Dolphins or maybe the Falcons um, at three or four. Personally, I've, I've, I've listened to a couple podcasts, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper. Um, it seems like Zach Wilson's definitely the second highest graded quarterback out, out of all four. And then yeah. um, I think I would go Fields. Then um, Lance, um, Lance just, I didn't know Lance is only 20 years old and he only played one game last year. He's definitely, I think he's got a lot, a lot of learning to do a lot of growing to do. I think he needs to sit for a year or two before he plays. And I think Fields is just more the NFL ready quarterback and um, kind of played in a style of offense that translates to the NFL. Well, what about you Curtis? What do you think? I've watched a little, a little tape on Lance. I loved Cam Newton. Don't get me wrong. He was an athletic freak. He was exciting. He, he, he brought the Panthers to relevancy again, but I don't want the Panthers taking another bruiser quarterback. That's going to take hits all the time. And that's what Trey Lance is. That guy, he doesn't slide. He, he wants contact and that's kind of how his play has been. And that's why he's had, he's had success. 
but I don't think it's, it, it lasts long in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't think for an extended period of time for 10, 15 years, what I saw from fields, that Clemson game, I mean, that, or I believe it was a Clemson game. He, he was incredible. And he reminds me of that. He's going to run the ball, but he's not going to take the hit. He'll take the hit when he needs to, but if he can pull back and he can slide down and that's what I like. And that's what I've seen from some of his games is he's not going to take those hits when he, he doesn't need to. And I, I, that's what I like about him. And I think that would be their best bet. And who knows? I mean, they might trade up. Yeah, I think they're gonna, I mean, how aggressive they were with Matthew Stafford and willing to give up a first rounder, Teddy and a fifth rounder. I think you're going to see them be aggressive and trade up, but we'll see how the cards stack. You never know. You, you don't know. And don't get me wrong. I, Deshaun Watson is my number one choice out of anything. So, uh, at all costs for me. So I, I think that's the guy you need to go get because he's a, a generational talent. But I think the, I, the next, besides quarterback, I think the next biggest talk for the Panthers this offseason is, is it Moten or Samuel? And I think a lot of fans are going to say Moten, but can they pull off bringing Samuel back? And you've seen the reports this week that Samuel wants to test the market. Washington, I'm sure, is going to be a player, even though they don't know how to use him very well with Marty Herney and Ron in the past. But I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that is. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I feel like they were, if you read the tea leaves, the Panthers were really telegraphing pretty early on that that they weren't going to be able to sign both of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was one point, some of the info we were getting, that it was not very likely that they were even going to be able to extend a big contract to Moten like that. Um, you know, then they seem like they backed off and you know, realized too, like, kind of like you're saying earlier, like, who's under contract on the line right now, you know, so losing Taylor and <laughs> literally just having Paradis being the, you know, the only guy left. I mean, that's just too much turnover. So, you know, what I was kind of predicting at that point, just putting some info together was that they were going to franchise him this year and probably, you know, not, not have a, uh, a long, you know, sign him for a long-term deal. I think they're probably going to try to offer him a long-term deal, but it's not going to be the, the, up to his standard. Going to want. So if I'm, again, this is just guessing, I think he's going to get franchised and then probably not be here after that while they're, you know, drafting some O-line this year and next. Um, and obviously bringing some other free agents in too, to, to kind of rebuild it that way. Um, but yeah, just, you know, the, the, the cap, um, the new cap guy, and forgive me, I don't, I don't remember his name, you know, put out the article basically saying they can't do both, you know, Gant comes out and says the same thing. They can't do both, but that Taylor Moten is the priority. So, you know, if, if those guys are pretty good, you know, especially both and, and Gant, um, you know, I know they yeah. get a lot of, um, you know, people will discredit them saying they work for the team, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close with Bill. And one thing I know about him is he's not going to be wrong. Like he's not going to put a message out there for the sake of ruining his credibility, just to be the spokesperson of the team. So if he's not saying anything, then, you know, that's one thing, but if he does put some, some stuff out there, it's generally because that's the direction they're going. And, um, you know, same with, same with Gant too, you know, you can just really listen to what they're saying and then, you know, they're trying to steer you in the right direction. And they both kind of made it pretty obvious that, that Curtis is going. And, you know, I know that, that news about him um, with the contract just, just surfaced, but, you know, that happened months ago, like, you know, during the season and, um, you know, he wants to, he, he thinks he, and, and, kudos to him you know he thinks he's more than just the third option on the team which you know go get it if you can man you know yeah yeah when when christian comes back he's not even the third option so you know if he can go be a uh, you know a, a star wide receiver in, in another market then you know good for him yeah and i, I think he absolutely has the talent to do that um I've, i i kind of like what curtis was saying earlier i think i think the previous coaching staff kind of had an issue figuring out the best way to use him um but i thought i thought joe brady and and Matt Rule did a wonderful job using them this year and propelled them to a possibly strong uh, free agency. Um, yeah. I, I aren't you guys tired though? I I get the fr- I get the franchise tag. It makes sense this offseason. but aren't you tired of seeing the Panthers develop these linemen? They become Pro Bowl star athletes and then they get shipped off to another team. You had Greg Van Roten last year. Granted, he was an undrafted free agent. You had Andrew Nor- Norwell went to Jacksonville. And then Moten, if he signs a franchise take, and then maybe they can't get him to a long-term contract and he's off again. Like they need to solidify pieces on this offensive line. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is frustrating, but if you look at, you know, the money Norwell got and his production since then, like the Panthers look like they won that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Van Roten kind of came out of nowhere and, and, you know, had a, had a good season or two. I can't, was he here for two? I don't remember exactly, but you know, he, he played well for the Panthers. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Taylor's going to command a lot of money and, you know, I think just the philosophy that, that they have is not putting left tackle money into a right tackle, even though like, you know, he's that good and, and, and probably deserves that kind of money. My personal philosophy is let's go ahead and shore up one side of the line, even if it's <laughs> the right or the left, like now we know we don't have to worry about the right. We can focus and scheme towards the left, you know, I, like, but uh, <laughs> I'm obviously not in the NFL and I'm just a fan for a reason. So <laughs> Kind of working back towards the Roaring Riot a little bit. Uh, do you guys have any big plans for this upcoming year? Or do you know yet? Uh, do you have anything lined yeah, up? What's or... the breaking news? I, I <laughs> think there's something that works. You guys have a section at, at Bank of America Stadium. Yeah, we're, we're still just uh, you know playing the guessing game at this point. I mean, I think we're moving forward more cautiously optimistic than we were last year. I mean, I, I think last year in April, we had a pretty good idea that we weren't going to be at the games, even though we had to go through the process. Uh, you know, this year we're already going through the process, you know, like we talked about, I was in, I was in Buffalo on Monday, getting that trip planned out. Um, luckily all the other cities, we've had a trip to them. So I don't, you know, typically around this time every year, I would go to every city that we haven't been to. Cause you know, for me to plan the trip, I have to put my eyes on it. Like I need to see where the tailgate spot is in, re in relation to like where the bus is going to drop us off versus where our hotel is. Like I just have to visualize it in order to be able to, to bring people to the trip and, you know, move them around. Um, so yeah, the only place I needed to go was Buffalo. So we're, 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 we feel good just based on the stadiums that did have fans. I mean, the fact that they had 22,000 people at the Super Bowl, even though I know my, I mean, Florida is a different, different animal down there, but you know, just with the projection. Yeah, Florida just straight up doesn't give a shit. Let's be real here. <laughs> no, I, I, wasn't it like week three or four of this past year where Miami was like, Full stadium, it's fine. <laughs> yep. yep. Luckily, the Dolphins were like, "Well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that." But yeah, <laughs> they were like, "Go for it." Um, you know, and just with the projection of the number of people that could be vaccinated by the end of the summer, beginning of fall, um, you know, I think if all that goes according to plan and and fans are allowed in and, and fans are, are feel safe and like have confidence in the process, then. I mean, I think it'll be a great year for Panther fans on the road because you know, just being shut down for a year and not being able to to be around one another. And, and you know, that's it's funny because the past two seasons, the way they've gone, like I was starting to get really burned out. You know, like I was saying, like leaving every stadium, going to all these games and just watching the Panthers play like trash and, you know, having to spend all this time. And, and you know, not only is it our, our job and what we do, but like, you know, we're still fans. Like it's still it's still painful as a fan to lose these games, too. Um, I, I was just, you know, getting to the point where like, I felt like I needed a break. And then <laughs> I guess COVID gave me the break. <laughs> it was a, what, wasn't exactly the kind of break I was looking for, but, um, but no, like, you know, all jokes aside, like not being able to tailgate with people that I'm used to seeing like every Sunday, you know, during the football season and, um, you know, not being able to give them hugs and high fives, even though we were sitting in the same section, but, you know, we were, you know, so far apart because of social distancing, like, you know, made me realize like, you know, I don't want to take that stuff for granted. And, and, um, you know, I just hope that we can get back out there and, um, you know, do it again this year, although we've lost our tailgate spot. So we're, uh, that's kind of what we're, our main focus is right now. And that's a big challenge around the stadium with all the development and all the parking lots that are going away, you know, trying to find a affordable space for the number of people that we have. That's you know not a 15 plus minute walk away as a, as a challenge. So that's our, uh, that's, that's the, uh, the, puzzle that we're trying to solve right now i i didn't know we lost the tailgate spot that's uh that's kind of sad man that's yeah. like a legendary spot right there yeah they were they were always <laughs> there were always plans to develop the trolley there um oh, okay and so we thought this was probably going to be the last year i was kind of hoping that maybe because of the pandemic that the development got pushed back uh, but it didn't so they're gonna they're gonna start developing a trolley there sometime in the next whatever months but um but yeah we didn't get the green light to use it this year so okay. we we anticipated it um you know we were, we were fortunate to have that space but you know truth be told we had outgrown that space anyway it was really tight um it was just you know being that close to the stadium being able to use that with there was, was tough to walk away from it but yeah kind of a uh it's forcing us to, to upgrade and to find a better spot and that's fine we you know we need to do it anyway so do you have a little teaser do you have any locations checked out or anything like that or are you it's still in the works now yeah no, we, we just really started uh looking around about three weeks ago so we've gotcha. we've, we've uh, talked to a few properties um but yeah we've got some ideas 
ideas, but no, definitely nothing set in stone. In fact, you know, that, uh, that funny gift that came out from the weekend from the, um, when he was performing at the halftime show. And like, that was, that's us looking for a tailgate. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we'll sort it out, man. That's what we do. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this. We want to just thank you so much for being our first guest here on Panthers on Tap. Thank you for your time and insight. And we'd love to have you back at some point, maybe before the season starts to get a little update on things. Um, but again, we appreciate you and really thank you for your time. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I didn't realize I'm the first guest, but that's an honor. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to get up and talk Panthers football anytime. And just, you know, anytime uh, I see fans out hustling and try to do stuff to help our fan base, it's, uh, you know, that's all I do too. So anything we can do to help and support you guys, we're here for it. Sounds good. Thank you so much. And fans, go follow Zach on Twitter at Roaring Riot Z. That's Roaring Riot Z. Uh, you can get all of his takes on the Panthers football and any updates on the Roaring Riot. So thank you so much, Zach. All right, Curtis. It's the week after the Super Bowl. Um, what are your thoughts on what happened? Uh, did the game change your kind of philosophy on what you want to see the Panthers do this offseason? Well, I mean, we talked about this already. Brady's the GOAT. Uh, I don't want to hear anyone else tell me anything differently. Guy's got seven rings, 10 Super Bowl appearance. He's got more Super Bowls than any other franchise in the NFL. And I saw, I thought I saw a stat the other day. He has more Super Bowls than like 19 teams combined, which yeah. is insane. 18 teams. He, I think he solidified that he is the GOAT. He yeah, did, he did, he, he was playing the baby GOAT. Mm -hmm. He was playing Patrick Mahomes, the upcoming, the upcomer. He's Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best quarterback right now, quarterback right now in the NFL. He had a depleted offensive line that didn't help him out at all. And we'll get in that a little bit, but. Tom Brady, the big question was, can he win without Bill Belichick? And did he have a lot of weapons? Did he have a defense? Of course he did. But he brought a team during a pandemic, no mm -hmm. offseason, and they ended up going all the way. They won their last, I think, six or seven games, and they ended mm -hmm. up winning the Super Bowl. They beat Drew Brees. They beat Aaron Rodgers, and they beat Patrick Mahomes. And there Taylor is Heineken, no doubt in my mind, there is no doubt in my mind, Tom Brady is the best quarterback to ever put on a jersey. Yeah, and, and you can't forget Taylor Heineke. He beat Taylor Heineke. Now, oh, bum Taylor Heineke. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I He's mean. He's got I, a contract I, off that game. He That's, did. That game solidified. solidified uh, <laughs> that game made him $9 million. Um, I mean. That, that, I don't, on the full year. I, I saw he was taking classes like a couple, like, a couple, I think, months before the game, that game, he was taking classes at ODU, and and then he makes, uh, he signs a nine million dollar two year contract, a couple months after that. But that's crazy. But I mean, I, I don't think there's any arguing at all that Tom Brady is is the goat. Uh, I don't think you you're always going to get it though. I mean, it's it's the sports. You get the LeBron versus MJ comparison. You're always going to have it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, okay, you'll get the people that's going to argue. Okay, Tom Brady's the GOAT, but he's not the most talented quarterback of all time, which, I, I mean, there's an argument there. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably more talented than Tom Brady is. Patrick Mahomes is probably more talented than Tom Brady is, but Tom Brady is just the GOAT. I mean, that's the way it is. I, I think Tom Brady came into a team, the T Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the year before that went 7-9. and nine. He comes into a team with, uh, with I mean, a great offensive line, uh, one of the best defenses in the league, I think, in the Super Bowl. They, they proved that. Todd Bowles did a hell of a job with that team. Yeah. Um, he deserves and, and, a coaching job. He got. Oh, some. absolutely. Todd Bowles is, uh, I mean, I, I thought he should, probably should have got one this year, but he more than likely will next year. But I mean, there's just no arguing. He, he comes into a team seven and nine, takes him to the playoffs, goes through basically everyone that you would want him to play in the NFC and then beats Patrick Mahomes. Who's playing out of his mind. I saw a stat. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has never been held to in one game without a touchdown in his career in high school, college, or in the NFL until the Super Bowl. I mean, that's Which just insane. Yeah. Which that's insane. nuts. That is nuts. I mean, like I said, what Todd Bowles did with the defense, Tom Brady played a really good game. I can't take that away from him. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, I didn't, I didn't want the chiefs to win. And I was pulling against them the whole we game. We both did. We both wanted the chiefs <laughs> to win. No one wants to see Tom Brady keep winning. And yeah. unless you're a Pats fan or you've been a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, or you jumped mm -hmm. on the bandwagon because he's there, but no one wanted to see Tom Brady win a seventh, but we, I mean, we witnessed history. We I did. mean, it's, it's like watching in the nineties when MJ was winning four five, six. So that was exciting in itself. And I feel like as fans, we take that for granted as like, 
oh, Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. But like Tom Brady just won a seventh Super Bowl. And in like 40 years, we're going to be talking about Tom Brady yeah. winning that seventh Super Bowl. He's, he's 43, right? 43. Yeah, won a Super Bowl at 43. That's crazy. And he he's really like this season – I mean, he hasn't fallen off that much. I, I don't think he has. I, I could see him playing for two, three, four more years. I mean, at this level that he's playing right now. And and if he does that on this with this roster, I, I don't see the Bucks not making playoffs and not making a deep run in the playoffs for a while, honestly. Now let's hop off Tom Brady. Let's talk Patrick Mahomes. Because this guy, I felt for the first time we saw him be human. Yeah. yeah. He he just he didn't have a good game, and it, a, a lot a lot of it played in part because of his offensive line. I'll pull up some stats here. He had 20, 27 of his fifty six dropbacks, forty eight percent he was under pressure. Forty eight percent of his dropbacks he was under pressure, and twenty seven of those, all twenty seven, was with a four man rush. Man, I would love that if Carolina could do that. My goodness, a four man <laughs> rush and they're pressuring 27, 27 times out of fifty six. Yeah. That's insane, but. Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. He didn't have his best game. He had – we can't discount. Some of those plays he had in the fourth quarter were incredible. The throw like a baseball off it, falling down on the ground, yeah. and he still – and he hit his guy in the helmet. Mm-hmm. Just insane what this guy can do. Yeah, and I, and like you said, the offensive line, I mean, it, it looked like the whole game they – they would call Hut. They stand up, and they're immediately the defensive lineman's passed him. I mean, he had no help whatsoever. Poor Mike Rammers. Line. Poor, yeah, poor I mean, Mike Rammers. No, not poor Mike Rammers. He's terrible. I mean, there's no <laughs> that poor Mike guy Rammers will never him. see another starting job no. in his career. I mean, uh, like we were talking earlier today, there there's a literally like a petition online that has like ninety thousand signatures to ban Mike Rammers from the NFL. We had and the it, Madden curse. <laughs> it's the Remmer curse now. Yes. You got Remmers in your team on in the in the Super Bowl. You are not winning that game. No, nope. it's that simple. <laughs> I, I apologize, Mike Rimmers, but if, if he's on your team, you need to cut him before the Super Bowl. And it was interesting. Greg game. Olson tweeted during the game that he hopes Rimmers plays a game of his life because he didn't deserve the flack he had. But you look at that 2015 game. He gave up three sacks. He had seven pressures and two strip sacks. Granted, it was against Von Miller, arguably one of the de- best defensive players when he's healthy. Uh-huh. But Man, he was Cam Newton was running scared that game. Yeah, yeah. Mike Rimmer should have pressed charges against Von Miller after that game because it was definitely <laughs> there was some assault going on or something that game. I mean, it, he just got embarrassed. And I honestly don't know how he still has a job. But I mean, when when your whole entire starting offensive line is out, I guess you just got to work with what you got. You got to run Chiefs. for your life and hope you can win that game. Basically. But I think if, if they have their starting offensive line in that game, I, don't, I think it's a completely different game. And I, I think the Chiefs win, honestly. But, um, but I mean, I, me and you have had this argument before. I think Patrick Mahomes, before that Super Bowl, I was saying Patrick Mahomes is going to be the GOAT. And and I just felt like he's got that talent, the talent level. Like he, has, he definitely has a talent, and he's, he's young, and he's the only one who can threaten Tom Brady. But mm-hmm. with Tom Brady winning that game, yeah, you get you could argue Mahomes has got to win eight Super Bowls because yeah. Tom Brady had the head-to-head versus him in no, the Super I, Bowl. Yeah, and I, so, I don't think I think with that win, Tom Brady beating Patrick Mahomes at 43 years old, winning a seventh Super Bowl, I don't think that's a stain that Patrick Mahomes is ever going to be ever ever going to be able to wash off. And I think I just don't think he's ever going to get to that top top goat level like Tom Brady is because of that. So, he might get close. He might challenge, but I just I I don't think yeah. he can top it. I yeah. And d- just defensively for the Chiefs, I get it. The Bucks have a really good offensive line. They drafted Tristan Wirfs, their center, Jensen. That guy is just a freak. That guy, I mean, that guy in the playoffs, have you watched him? He's chippy. He was driving guys to the ground after the whistle. I mean, that guy was there to fight someone and take their head off. He is chippy, chippy, chippy. But what the Bucs have done a good job over the years is just to give them credit. Drafted people like uh, Kappa and um, Ali Marpet from D3 schools and developing them into Pro Bowl guards i mean that i mean that, that's that is where you build a super bowl winning team is drafting players in the fourth fifth sixth round from d3 schools and developing them i mean kind of like jeremy chin or even taylor moton uh bring up taylor moton uh from a smaller school uh it, that is where you win you find the players in small schools you find the players that other people aren't looking at and you develop them and you build a winning team 
Well, we want to get to our Jersey winner. Uh, we just want to thank everyone who retweeted and followed us on Twitter at Panthers on tap. Keep following us, keep retweeting, keep liking us. So drum roll, Bryson, give us a little drum roll. The winner of the Thomas Davis Jersey is D white. That's at sir Carolina King. We will be DMing you. We'll be sliding in your DM. So check that out. Now we're going to go to a different segment, trying to switch it up a little bit here with podcasts. We're Panthers on tap. We both love beer. This is the next segment we call draft picks of the week. So we're going to pick up, we're going to talk. We both have been drinking beer this whole time. So we're going to talk about the beers we have. I'll let Bryson go first. Cause I just keep on yapping. Bryson, what are you drinking tonight? What do you like about it? Sell it for us. All right. Well, I just picked this up this evening. Uh, it, is, it is called Lemon Ginger Zombie. Uh, it's a white L from Catawba Brewing Company. I wanted to get a local beer. I think that's what I'm going to do throughout the whole entire um, episodes we make. I'm going to drink local beers and kind of just give a shout out to local places. Um, it, I mean, it, it's very delicious. Uh Right here, it says white ale brewed with orange peel, coriander, and natural lemon and ginger flavors. I don't like IPAs and like strong tasting beers like that. I'm more of a light beer guy myself and um, whiskey. I'm a big whiskey guy. But this beer is very easy to drink. I mean, I highly recommend it. Uh, Catawba Valley uh, Brewing, they they make some really good beers. Uh, this is probably one of my favorites, honestly. It's my first time having it. It's a 5.1 al- uh, alcohol, uh, well, 5.1 percentage. And um, it's just, it's a great beer, honestly. Yeah, for me, I got to go with, I think it was one of my first beers I've ever tried when I moved to North Carolina. And that's the Red Oak. I mean, this this beer, I remember I recommended this to you. And it it is probably one of the best um, amber beers I've ever had in my entire life. Probably one or two to Wisconsin Amber. If you're ever in Wisconsin, check it out. It's Capital Brewery up in Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin Amherst is pretty good too, but this is just so smooth. It's not, it doesn't give you that punch like most Ambers do in that, that IPA kind of aftertaste, that skunky aftertaste, but this thing is so smooth, so good. I could drink it in the summer. I can drink it in the winter. I can drink it on Sundays. I'll drink it on Mondays. This beer is so good. little plug for Red Oak. Um, definitely something I think all of you should try if you haven't, and I'm sure you have because it is pretty popular here. That's in the North goat Carolina. beer. That's the Tom Brady beer right there. It's smooth. It's smooth. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for watching the Panthers on Tap podcast. You can catch all of our episodes every Thursday, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play. Hit the follow button at Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your Panthers analysis and breaking news. And as always,